0: show of hands, we got any cliff jumpers in the crowd? Anybody's ever done this? A few weeks ago, uh, Lori and I, we were hiking out at Long Hunter State Park, which if you don't know where that park, it's over by Lebanon. It kind of runs around Percy Priest Lake. And so we had decided to take an afternoon and kind of take the dogs on a little hike and walk. And, and uh, so we came down this little trailhead and, and um, we kind of came to these cliffs. And uh, they overlooked the the lake, and it was just this gorgeous, beautiful view. You could see several points of the lake, and, and so kind of being this w- wannabe adventurist, I decided that I was going to kind of climb down, and I wanted to get to the edge of this cliff, and, and so I, I kind of make my way down, and I'm steadying myself, and so I get down there, and, and I, I start to get close to the edge, and my wife says, Jason, be careful. Phoebe might fall in, and... Uh, <laughs> I was like, thanks for your concern, uh, but I know where I rank, and so if you don't, you're in denial. But anyway, I, so I stood there on the edge of this cliff, and I made this statement. I said, I wonder how deep this water is, and I wonder if people can jump off of this. And so I had this moment where I was like, it would be amazing to kind of just dive in here and see what happens. And, and so I kind of got a little closer to the edge, and I got a little woozy, and I thought, you know what, maybe you know, 40 has done something to me, so I kind of back up. And I wondered at that moment, I wonder what it's like to be a cliff diver. But I haven't always had to wonder that there was a time when it wouldn't have scared me and I'd have been the first one in. I remember the first time I ever got to do this. I was in uh, Kentucky, Laurel Lake. There's a little picture of this, and so uh, this isn't the exact cliff, but it was one that uh, my cousins for years and years had jumped off of, and I'd finally gotten to an age, and I snuck away. Mom didn't know I did this. She's going to listen to this and go, you did what? Um, but we had kind of snuck away one day and going over to Laurel Lake, and, and I remember the climb up. You know, it was steep, and you kind of, you know, you're, you're climbing up the face of these rocks, and you're holding on to anything that you can just trying to of get to that point. And I remember getting up there, and and again, just like the other day, the, the view was beautiful, but I wasn't there to just enjoy the view. I was there to k- kind of t- to dive into this and cliff dive. And so I remember the moment when my cousins were like, "All right, Jason, this is your first time. You get to go first." And, and I'm like, "I don't think that's fair." But okay, so I kind of edge up to the to the cliff's face and kind of take a deep breath, and I just kind of froze. So I kind of edge back and, you know, my cousin trying to be supportive at this point goes, all right, all right, all right, let me show you how it's done. And so he just kind of takes off and and away he goes. And so a couple other cousins are like, all right, you got it? And I was like, yeah, I think I got it. And so I edge back up there and I kind of get my toes to the edge of this thing. And they saw me, I took a deep breath and I kind of backed back up. And so he's like, listen, it's really easier if you don't think about it. And I'm going, hold up, how do you not think about this? He goes, it's easier if you don't edge up to it if you'll just kind of take off. He said, there's nothing you're going to hit. So, you know, you just saw you know, him do it. And, and so I was like, okay, I got this. And so I go to run, and then I go, I edge back up to the edge. <laughs> Even standing at the edge of this stage kind of makes me woozy, to be honest. <laughs> and so edge back up, and, and he's like, you got this, you got this, you got this. And so I just remember kind of closing my eyes and launching out into this. And that three seconds that felt like three minutes was the most exhilarating, scary moment I've ever had. But I remember hearing the cheers at the top and like, ah, what'd you think? And I was like, this was awesome. So, you know, I climbed back up and the second time off that cliff was even better. You know, I'm not quite the cliff jumper that I used to be and as I stood there on Percy Priest, I realized that. But I thought to myself, I wonder what it would like, be like to be a cliff jumper again. And so we're going to build this series around cliff jumping. We're going to build this series about standing at the edge of a decision, standing at the edge of a relationship, standing at the edge of, of coming face-to-face with some of your gifts. We're going to stand at the face of fear. We're going to spend six weeks, and we're going to talk about this in house groups as well, but we're going to be on the edge, as nervous as it makes us, and say, I want to jump. I need to jump. I have been called to jump. The Bible is full of believers, just like you and I, normal people, but it's full of believers who jumped, I think of one story out of the Old Testament, and then we're going to kind of end with a story in the New Testament this morning. I think of Joshua chapter 3. Joshua was tasked with uh, kind of leading the children of Israel, not out of Egypt. Moses did that, but now it was time to go into the promised land. And and so Moses had died, and Joshua, this new leader, is about to take over. And so they, they get to one of the big first obstacles. And they're standing at the edge of the Jordan River. And it says that it's flood season meaning that this is, this is heavy-moving water, it's up. I mean, this is, this is more like a, a big, you know, rapid kind of thing. And so they're standing there at the edge, and the deal was is that the Ark of the Covenant was what led the people. And so they would put that out there on their shoulders, and the leaders would kind of lead with the Ark of the Covenant. And so they stand here on the edge of this flooded, fast-moving water, and they go, "We, what are we supposed to do here? And Joshua says, well, he doesn't use this word, but he says, Let's just kind of jump in. Let's see what happens. And so it says that that the men, the leaders of this, were the first, and they jumped. And it says when they took their first step into that water, that somewhere upstream it dammed up, and the water continued to flow until it was dry. They walked the ark to the middle of this now dry riverbed as the people got through safely. And then they kind of took up the end, and and as they came out of that, the waters continued to flow. And I look at moments like that and I, I say, you know, wonder what I would do if I'm standing on the edge of a Jordan River in my life. And we know it's moving fast. And, and so we said, let's take a series and let's begin to explore what it's going to take and what it means and how it is that I'm going to, to build community around me that makes it possible to jump. I think of, of moments when Jesus' ministry were all about jump moments. Now, he uses a different word and he uses it a lot, but he uses a word come. When he says, hey, come and follow me, come and take up, come and do this, those are invitations to jump. And so Jesus, all throughout his ministry, not just encouraged people to be jumpers, he equipped them to be jumpers. I think of the very first ministry moment when Jesus meets some of his original disciples. It's that moment that that he says, come, come. He looks at Peter, Andrew, James, and John, these regular blue-collar guys, nothing spectacular. There's no reason that he should have ever chosen them. And in that moment, they're standing on their fishing boats. He says, jump. Come on. I think of when he walks up to Matthew. This tax collector, we spent a lot of time talking about them in the last series, this tax collector lower than, than, than dirt, just no one had any kind of use for a tax collector. No one liked a tax collector, and he walks up to the table that Matthew's sitting at, and he says, jump. He says, come, follow me. I think of John chapter 1 when the disciples, they're trying to get some, some steam going, and they're worried about something. Here's where they're worried about. They said, Jesus, where are we going to stay? I mean, that's a physical need, it's a necessity. Where are we going to stay? And Jesus says, just jump. He says, come, follow me, you'll see, you'll see, I've got this. But my favorite jumping story, and I haven't taught this in about four and a half years, comes out of Matthew 14 where Peter finds himself in a moment where Jesus extends the same invitation that he extended to him the first time that he jumped out of the boat. But it's a little different situation this time. And so in Matthew 14, we're going to pick up in verse 22. Listen to this story. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him on the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So he's just coming off of feeding the 5,000 and doing these miracles, and everybody's kind of in awe, and there's this massive crowd at this point, and Jesus says, all right, you guys go ahead, I'll catch up. So he dismisses them, and he went up to a mountainside to pray alone. And later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because of the wind against it. And shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! They cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to jump. Tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come on. And then Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and said, oh, you have little faith, why did you doubt? And When they climbed back into the boat and the wind died down, those that were in the boat worshipped him saying, truly, you are the Son of God. I imagine Peter years later retelling this story maybe to different people, maybe some grandkids or maybe a Bible class that he's teaching or maybe a a group of people and undoubtedly there was a moment where where, where Peter probably felt a a little bit of regret because he had to be rescued, but also the flip side of that, I think there were moments when Peter smiled and said, you guys, let me tell you, I walked on water." Do you, do, you, do you get that? Like, yeah, there's some regret that maybe I should have trusted. But guys, I walked on water, and there's this moment where I believe that he, he just felt all over as if it was the first time this exhilarated emotion that he did something beyond what he thought was humanly possible. He walked on water. Now, we're quick to mention that he sank. We're quick to go to the part where, you know, he, he, he has to be rescued, and we say, well, look at this faithless follower. I love, too, that that comes from a bunch of non-water walkers, right? (laughs) And did he he encounter a certain degree of failure in not completing the walk? Sure. But I want to suggest that there were 11 bigger failures still sitting in the boat. There were 11 others who didn't have a story to tell, not at least of their own. I think there were 11 other individuals who sat in the boat and said, wow, Look what we could have done. Wow, we should have been out there. I wonder what it was like. I know we saw Peter do it, but I wonder what it was like for us to do it. And so when I see this story, here's what I get. Maybe this is just my personality. Maybe it's the way I'm geared. Maybe it's the way I'm built. But this is, this is the way I get I, 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 what I take from this. I'd much rather be a clumsy, out of the boat, needing saving Peter than one of the 11 who stayed in the boat and just experienced it not for themselves, but through the eyes of someone else. Guys, there's got to be more to life than just staying safe. And and I won't even say it's staying safe. There's got to be more to life than feeling safe. I believe that God has put us on earth and has breathed this life into us for more than just pursuing and sitting in the midst of what we believe is safe, avoiding, failing at something, inactive, just kind of watching the world go by as people don't know Jesus. And so this whole series is about this. If you want to experience moments like Peter, then you got to jump like Peter If you want to really be like Jesus, and that's what we claim, right? When we say we're Jesus followers, when we're Christians, we're saying, hey, I want to be like the one I'm following. If we really want to be like Jesus and experience life to a whole new level, then we've got to jump. We've got to jump out. And for some of us, that's going to mean we've got to jump out of our comfort zones. We've got to jump out of some, some bad habits. We've got to jump out of just some really bad rhythms in our life. We've got to jump out into some new places, jump out of our homes, jump off Facebook. We've got to jump out into the community. We've got to jump out into the, the neighborhoods that we live in, but we've got to jump out of the boat at some point. And I don't know about you, but I pray that when people sum up my life, they look, they have more to say than, man, Jason sure could sit and occupy a seat in the boat. I'm gonna tell you, he occupied a seat like nobody else. I mean, he he didn't dare, he didn't move, he didn't walk on water, but he didn't get wet either. And I pray that that there's more. I want people to say, yeah, Jason was a risk taker. He dared in the name of God. There wasn't any place that was too scary or or too unpromising or that he felt too ill-equipped." Man, Jason was a guy who got out there in the name of God and he trusted God in these moments. And I pray that that's what God says about us. I ran across this quote from Theodore Roosevelt that just really kind of brought this home for me. Just listen, it's a long quote, but I'm going to put the last part on the the screen. But listen to this. It's not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man fails. Or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust, sweat, and blood, who strives valiantly, and who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error or shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause. And then look at this. Who at best knows the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, At least fails daring greatly, so that in his place shall never be with the cold and timid souls who neither know victory or defeat. And that's the way I want to live life. And that's what God wants for you. That, listen. It doesn't matter if you fail or succeed. It's that you're not going to be categorized with this timid, I never really did anything for you. And that's Peter's story. Peter says, listen, if I fail, I'm going to do it daring greatly. I'm jumping. And I'm going to trust that Jesus is going to make up for my weaknesses. And that's what Peter was offered. Peter wasn't offered a thrill ride. He was offered something real. And it was tangible. And it was something that was going to set up his ministry for the rest of his life. It was that moment that I believe that he leaned in and still didn't get it all. We see that as Peter's stories unfold. But this was that moment when Peter says, whoa, I really can do anything. And while I might have a degree of failure along the way, there are moments that when I'm with Jesus, I can do these things. And I believe that's what Jesus is offering us. Now, what is real unfortunate is this. I think sometimes we, we take life and the message of Jesus and we kind of sanitize it a little bit. We, we domesticate it a little bit. And, and, and we kind of lean toward this safety at all cost, And, and safety in the boat discipleship kind of becomes the normal thing. And so here's what we do. We look to everything and anything to keep it that way. We look to whatever it is that we think is going to keep us safest, and that's where we kind of put our trust in Jesus. says, listen, what about this? If you kind of know the story, he says, I died on a cross. What about this, says safety? And he says, listen, don't make safety the pursuit because, yeah, you might not get wet, but you're not going to experience these moments. That's never the call. He says, that's not living and I begin to look at our culture and I begin to, to kind of, and I try to tune into these moments, these conversations, and I, I wonder if one of the primary reasons that Christianity seems to be losing ground is because of what they see Christian people doing. I know I talk about this a lot, but I think it's an important conversation because I think that when most people think Christianity, I think they think of it in, in these terms. Well, that's where you go into a room you sit down you might do some things but more you're probably going to watch some people do some things you get up and you go home but nothing really ever changes in fact if anything it's not proactive it's reactive And what I'm finding is, we begin to engage culture in a new way, as we begin to have conversations that, again, kind of like we talked about last series, where we're beginning to just eat with people and getting to know people, be relational with people, is this. I'm finding that people are not disillusioned with church because the call of Jesus is too demanding. See, I don't believe people have any issue committing to something. Being faithful something. I don't think that they're disillusioned because the call is too demanding. I believe it's because the discipleship they see lived out in most Christians' life, frankly, is boring. It's inactive. It's slow. It doesn't really bring about transformation and change. And they're going, listen, I don't have any problem hooking into something. I don't have any problem being faithful to something. I don't have any problem committing to something, but I want to see it come alive. I want to see and I want to follow a group of people that, man, that jump as Jesus jumps. I want to see something that makes waves. See, the thing about a wave is it's not just the point of impact. It's what happens outside of that point of impact. It's that trickle out. And so let's make waves. Let's jump. And I believe that Wellhouse over the last four years is built to jump. I believe that you are built to to jump. And don't worry about the moment where you go, well, I'm not, I don't feel, una- I feel a little inadequate here. I don't know. Just, just follow with us for the next six weeks. I believe that you are built to jump. I believe that we have some people in this room and in our community that's genuinely asking, what does it mean to be like Jesus? And we're going to show them what it means. And that means walking, not just with, but we're going to jump as Jesus jumped. So a few things you need to know before we get this series going. The jump will always require more faith. Jesus, I think, is going to open up all sorts of opportunities for you, all sorts of doors that you're going to have the opportunity to jump through, jump into. And some of those moments are going to come when you least expect it. Some of those moments are going to come in some really odd places and some really odd times. But I believe that Jesus, if we begin to have the vision that Jesus has, he's going to supply ample opportunities for us to jump and jump regularly. But it's going to require more faith to walk through those. It's going to require an extra measure of faith. It's going to require a little bit more faith than maybe you think you even have. But remember this, that Jesus never calls you to sink. Jesus never is going to put you, he's never going to put you in a situation that deliberately sets you up for failure. But more than likely, his missions are going to cause us to face some things, face some fears. It's going to require us to get as close to the edge to that fear and go, okay, okay. We're going to spend week four talking about that, where the mission is sometimes scary. These moments, it comes with anxiety and fears. You know, I believe that's the number one reason we don't do what God has called us to do. And we're going to address that. And and, and when I look at this story, I think we very quickly jump to this place where we go, why didn't Jesus just remove the fear factors? Why didn't he remove the waves? Why didn't, I mean, couldn't he have made the storm stop for a moment so that he could have displayed this moment of faith? And what I figured out is this, if I begin to read again the Gospels, if I read throughout Scripture, what I see is this, is that God's not in the business of canceling fearful situations. He's in the business of canceling fear in my heart. And so what happens is this, is that in the midst of those situations, I grow, my relationship grows, my relationship with Jesus grows, my faith grows, and what I'm figuring out following Jesus is this, that fear is the price of growth. See, by putting Peter in a position to fear, he also puts Peter in a position to grow. He puts Peter in a position for his faith to grow. I also notice this in the story about this. Peter never asked for an opportunity that was guaranteed. And I think sometimes we've just got to get rid of the guarantee mentality and say, God, I don't need a guarantee, I just need an opportunity. And we begin to shy away from saying, God, now before I jump, I need to be guaranteed the following things. I need to be guaranteed that I'll remain safe and I won't lose friends, and we kind of go down the list. And and, and I think Jesus says, hey, don't ask for guarantees, just ask for opportunities, and then have the courage to step into those opportunities that only a bigger faith can conquer. And like I said, inside the boat you'll never get wet, but you never walk on water. Also, that life in the boat always seems safer. Almost everybody agree that you know staying in the boat in the middle of a storm is pretty good advice. I mean, that's kind of common sense, right? I mean, it's just you don't get out of the boat when there's a storm. But if we're not careful, what happens, like the 11? We allow the choice to be like Jesus to be dictated on the safety factor. And this is kind of like one, but bleeding over. And here's where I want to go with this. I want to submit that it's not really as safe as it seems. Jesus tells a story in Matthew 25. And he says that he kind of divvies out some talents. He's telling a story about a master who's kind of going out of town, and he leaves some things in people's charge. One guy he leaves five talents, one guy he leaves three, and one guy he leaves one. He says, hey, I need you guys to kind of be good stewards of this, take care of it, uh, but also see if you can kind of multiply it. And the master goes away. It says that when he returns, he kind of collects. And so he comes up to the one that has ten, and he says, All right, and he says or five, and he goes, hey, you're going to be excited? I've kind of doubled it. And the guy with three says, oh, master, you're going to be excited? And the, the guy with one comes up, and he says, master, you're going to be really happy. Here's your one talent. Aren't you proud of me? I kept it safe. I didn't do anything with it because I knew you were a hard master. I knew that you'd be disappointed if I lost it. And so he says, I just buried it. There's no return on it. There's no interest made. But hey, you get your one back. And it wasn't until a few years ago when I began to read this that something rang like a big red light to me in this. It's what Jesus calls through the master's voice. It's what he calls the one. If you read the text, here's what he says. He looks at the servant who kept the money, the talent safe. And he says, you wicked and lazy servant. Lazy, I expect. But guys, let that word wicked sink in for a second. You go, whoa, whoa, that's that's pretty, I mean, that's pretty brash, Jesus. Lazy, all right, maybe he didn't want to work, but wicked? And I say all that to say this. I'm not sure that the safety in all of this is the highest pursuit. I'm not sure that it's really the safest. Because he was so fearful that something would go wrong, he didn't do what he knew to be right. And so I began to ask myself this question. What element of safety is keeping me from being more like Jesus? What element of safety, what element that continues to pop up and go, I would do this, but, man, I I would love to step into that, but. And here's what I'm finding. It's whatever that I stay close to instead of stepping out to what Jesus would have me do. I would step into that, but I don't know enough about it. I would step into that, but it would cost me some friends. I I would step into that, but I'm not good enough. I haven't been doing this Jesus thing very long, and 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 you know, somebody would just chew me. I'm not good. My story's not good. enough. I would step into that, except my past. Oh, it's it's dark, and there's some things back there. And if somebody found out, they would just have a filled day with going. Oh, you're a Jesus. I can, oh, I remember. You know, like and 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 so. I would lose family, I would lose credibility at work, I would lose, and so whatever it is that you stay close to is that element that's keeping us, and so here's my encouragement to you, just get out a little bit every day, tomorrow get out just a little bit more than you did last week, even though the boat seems safer, and you're going to keep one hand on it, get out just a little bit every day, and I'm going to tell you the boat's always going to seem safer. But just take a step a little bit every day, and here's why. Because the water is where Jesus is. Jesus wasn't in the boat. Jesus was out on the water. I want you to notice something about that. Before we judge Peter too, too quickly, can we just notice something? He doesn't want to show off for his friends. I want you to notice something, too. He never says, Jesus, can I walk on water, too? What does he ask? He says, Jesus, can I come to where you are? Guys, and that's a significant difference. Jesus is not just trying, or Peter's not just trying to get a thrill ride at the moment. He, he doesn't say, Jesus, that's pretty sweet. Can I do that? Peter's request was not to walk on water. Peter's request was, can I come to you? Can I come to where you are? Peter wanted to be where Jesus was and Jesus wasn't in the boat. And so here's the thing, jumpers. As you begin to feel maybe some some excitement or anxiety or fear with what this series might bring, above all, here's what I want you to begin with this week, that a jumper has to develop a passion to be where Jesus is. It, it, it's it, it can't be motivated by anything else at the beginning other than i wanna be where jesus is and our passion to be where and as our passion to be where jesus is grows here's what's going to happen it's going to begin to remove and take care of and it will begin to overcome some of those fears and we will begin to experience life in new and excited and uncharted ways and arenas. To walk like Jesus means that we walk with Jesus. And you can't walk with him if you've got your hands clenched to the steering wheel of your boat. As we land this, I believe, guys, that we live in unprecedented days. I'm not fearful of the future. I'm not down on our culture. What I'm seeing is this, is that unlikely people are coming to Jesus in unlikely ways, and I love that we have built a culture built on unlikely things. I love that, 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 that we are engaging our community in some different ways, and unlikely ways, and, and ways that seem unorthodox. And I'm excited for what that, that, that's going to hold for us. But can I just tell you, that's the way God's story has always been written. God's story has always had an element of the unlikely. These moments when you go, that's crazy. That's insane to jump off of these kinds of moments. It's always been written that way. And he's going to continue to write it that way through you and I. The choice is this, will we jump out and be a part of the story? You guys stand with me. I want you to plant both feet on the floor for just a second. Your last step that you took brought you to where you're standing. Where will your next step take you? Literally, the last step you took Landed you right there and right there. Where will your next step take you? Closer to the edge? Or will it take you a step back? I'm just not ready for this. I'm not equipped for this. I'm not good enough. Or will it take you to a place where you go, you know what? I'm just going to close my eyes and die because I know that Jesus is out there. And that's where I want to be. Wherever he's at is where I want to be. And I know this, that wherever I fall short out there, he will make up the difference. So where will your next step take you? See, the invitation that Jesus gave to Peter is the same invitation he gives to us. Jump. Come on. Come. Jump. And that's got to be our response to the world and to our approach and to our coworkers, and to our friends, and to our neighborhoods. And our response to that invitation will not just change the moment. It will change our trajectory. It will change your legacy. And one of the things that makes jumping not only easier, but so much sweeter is this. I remember that moment. I stood on that cliff in Laurel Lake, Kentucky. If it had not been for the community of cousins, I'm not sure what I would have done. And what makes that moment sweeter, what makes that moment enjoyable, what makes that moment easier is community. Not just that they encouraged me to jump in, but they celebrated with me when I did. Guys, you are not alone in this. God did not create us to live alone and to experience these moments you don't stand on the edge of your cliff alone community matters in this and so that's why we chose to do this during house group season because we wanted you to tackle and think through and and be a part of a discussion about some personal jumps but do it in the context of community